Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with Andrew Lewis-Smith. This is a podcast which looks at Detroit, its people and initiatives and projects which are making a difference to the city and its communities. Every week I'll be asking a new interviewee about Detroit, projects that they are involved in and what it is that they love about Detroit and the people who live there. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond. So and today I'm really, really pleased to be uh, in the company of Gail Marlowe. Now Gail Marlowe is the executive director and one of the co-founders of an organisation called Motor City Mission Mission. And one of the things that the mission does, that the organisation does, it's a not-for-profit organisation. And it works, I would say, probably right at the fringes of society. People who are homeless, about to be homeless, people who uh, often don't have access to ready medical resources, health resources, uh, social services, those sorts of things. And having followed Gail now on social media and uh, her colleague for some time, they really do some amazing work and work really at the sort of cutting edges of society. Uh, she's been involved in non-profits for about 20 years. She has a business consultancy. She's a phenomenally hard worker and appears to be very dedicated to her cause and the people that, and her colleagues and the people that she serves. So welcome, Gail. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Could you, um, just for listeners, particularly here in the UK, could you just say a little bit about what your organisation is and, and why it's got that particular name? Because that probably sounds like a quite an unusual name or bits of it does to someone from the UK. <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, it causes some confusion fusion here too because everybody thinks that we're dedicated to something having to do with mittens but <laughs> motor city of course because we're based out of michigan and the motor yeah. city, um we're we're in the detroit area um which of course we're the motor city mitten actually it actually um it symbolizes the shape of the state of Michigan, which the state of Michigan is in the shape of, of a hand or of a mitten. So the nickname for Michigan a lot of times are like, oh, I'm from the mitten. That's where the mitten comes from. And then mission because we're on a mission. So that's where we got Motor City Mitten Mission. So how long have you been going? How long has the organization been going then? We're in our third fiscal year. So what pro- what prompted you to start that then? Because obviously you had a career in nonprofits beforehand and, and your co-founder is a, a teacher, I believe. Yep. So Pam Bufa, she's a, a teacher actually in Canada, uh, right, a, right across the, the bridge, right across. Oh, the- right. In Windsor. Right over in Windsor. So yeah, I've been working actually in nonprofits for most of my life. Uh, 20 years though, right around 20, 25 years ago, I started actually doing street outreach work in Chicago, just on a volunteer basis. Um, but I've always had some sort of hand in in volunteering and working with nonprofits and stuff like that. I hadn't lived in Michigan for several years, and then I had moved back here to help my grandma. And after she had passed away, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay here or leave. And I absolutely love Detroit. Even, even moving all over the country, I still was uh, very proud of my roots here in the city. And when I came back, I saw the revitalization going on with the city and wanted to be a part of it, but especially seeing that there was still so much that needed to be done. Um, and I started volunteering for a couple other uh, organizations. And we actually started in, a, in another organization. I started uh, an initiative where we were taking plastic bags and we recycled them. And then we turned them into sleeping mats and pillows for the homeless. And um, and it was a huge initiative and, and it really took off and everything. But one of the things that I saw that was happening is they really weren't getting into the hands of the people that really, really need them, which were the people that were truly living on the street. So with that said, um, Sopan and I had, had hooked 
hooked up. Um, she had wanted to start some initiatives over in Canada. Um, she actually lives in the States. She married an American. So she lives here, but she still works in Canada. So we teamed up. And we started this initiative, but from the very beginning, we've also done outreach. It's been a big part of it. So it started off doing this community service thing, engaging people, because part of the initiative with recycling plastic bags here in the U.S., they go into landfills and they kill mm-hmm. her. Um, it's a very intergenerational process. So we were able to engage not only um, young kids and students, but also people that were elderly, all walks of life. It doesn't cost anything. So it was really easy to engage people with that. And then that took off into now distributing the map to people that were homeless. Well, you can't just, you know, give people something. I don't know. It was kind of our philosophy, you know, at least with my outreach. Food has always been the most important thing when you go out and do outreach. You know, that's that's the most needed thing was is the immediate need is food. So. You know, we're taking out food along with the mats and then it grew into, you know, we started taking out clothing and socks and coats and blankets and underwear and just about everything. And it grew into that program from outreach. And then as the outreach program grew, we saw that there were other needs that were coming down the pipe. So now our um, our organization actually has three programs. We have our street outreach program, which we directly work with people that are unsheltered. They're living on the street. We help facilitate services for them. So it could be mental health services. It could be uh, medical services. It could be housing, job opportunities, them getting an ID. And we make sure that they have the basic necessities while they're living on the street. So not just our mats, but tents and blankets and clothing and bicycles to help with the transportation situation. And then we have a, a transitional support program which that's where we're helping people that are um, going from homelessness to housing. And um, they might get into a housing situation, but they don't have any opportunity or don't have the means to really furnish their home. And so we help get their their place furnished and we help get them kind of set up and into a stable environment. Um, we also have referrals from some of our other organizations like the Detroit uh, or the Children's Center of Detroit from many of the schools that we work with will refer families again that they're kind of they're very we call them food and housing insecure. And again, they're so they're families that are living in situations that are, you know, they're pretty much near homelessness. So we go in and we help them and make sure that they have what they need and deliver food to them regularly. And then of course, our third program again is going back to our mats and pillow project for the homeless, which is where we recycle the plastic bags and um, turn them into sleeping mats and pillows. And at this point, we've recycled well over 2, mil- two million plastic bags. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's actually a really big initiative. We're we're in about 300 businesses and schools right now throughout Michigan, Ohio, and Canada, just in our little section that doesn't count any of our other volunteers that are in different different states um, that have taken the initiative with them. That's just in this little area here. I mean, this might be a bit of a stupid question, but it sounds like there's a considerable amount of need in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a huge need in Detroit. And it's a little bit different because Michigan is, you know, known as the four season state. Um, and especially now, our weather is so unpredictable here. I mean, the other day we just went from having a really warm, hot day where people were wearing shorts and T-shirts to then it's snowing almost the next day or the temperature by 30 degrees. I mean, it really is crazy. I mean, we went from people asking us for T-shirts to can I have hand warmers and a coat? I mean, it's and it's like that. It's this year, particularly, we haven't had a really like harsh winter um, like Mm -hmm. 
the last couple of years, but it's been, I would say it's definitely been more unpredictable. But as far as the, uh, the aid, we have tons of people that are homeless and that are near homeless. You know, just we service all of Metro Detroit um, and Detroit is Metro Detroit is spread up. States are spread up in counties. And so um, we service all the ne- neighboring counties uh, that surround the Detroit area. And um, especially during the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been um, our numbers have tripled since this has started. Yeah, there's a huge need for it. Here in the UK, I've heard some stereotypes about a lot of homeless people saying, oh, well, they don't really want to live in a house and you know these sorts of things. What are the sort of backgrounds of the people that you work with, if you can, if you can generalize that much? You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of the a lot of the homeless that we have, they suffer from mental illness or they suffer okay. from severe uh, addiction issues, substance abuse issues. I would say typically the people that have mental illness issues, a lot of them have families and that they just, they really don't have the capacity to to kind of understand or to to take care of themselves or to, and they, and they really don't. They're kind of content with where they're at. And presumably that's, is that untreated mental illness or they've gone through programs and it hasn't really worked? Yeah. So in the state of Michigan, they closed down a lot of the psychiatric hospitals years ago. And when that happened, a lot of these um, people just, they did end up on the, out on the streets. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how the mental health services are in the UK, but in the US, I would say we don't, we definitely don't have very good mental health services available for people. Um, you know, there's still definitely very, much of a stigma attached to it and so you know you have a lot of people that that just they have severe mental illness that haven't you know gotten help you know that's a big issue it, regarding the substance abuse you know and they kind of a lot of times the substance abuse goes hand in hand with the mental mm. illness too you know and it's kind of which came first you know we do have a lot of people that suffer from addiction and you know that's kind of i say more of a 50 50 some people that um are struggling with addiction and they do want help we do our best to to help facilitate those services. But we also have some people that, you know, they're kind of so far gone that they don't. But with that said, that's not the entire population. Um, and, and the other thing is, too, is that, you know, we have people that has struggled with mental illness and addiction that was, you know, it was triggered by something. I mean, I know tons of people who, you know, they were making six figures. They were very, living very comfortably and they had unexpected tragedy that happened, you know, or some situation. It could be from divorce. It could be from a job loss. It could be from an illness. You know, we don't have a great healthcare system here as far as, you know, the coverage. We have some mm-hmm. brilliant doctors in the world and some of the best healthcare, like actual people being taken care of and in treatments, but not everybody has the same access to those, you know, to that kind of care here. And so because of that, you know, we have people that, you know, you have somebody who is going to go through cancer. They have a kid that's going through something like that. And, you know, they end up losing everything. Is that because of medical bills and things like that? Yeah. 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 I guess what might not be, I mean, a lot of listeners in in the States or in Detroit might not realize that we have a universal health system. So I pay for it in my taxes. And if I say hurt my foot, I just turn up at a hospital at the emergency room and they sort it out and there's no charges. And, you know, the same for lots of other treatments. So, and same for seeing a GP and, and that's universal for everyone in the UK. And when I hear stories like that, I'm ever so grateful for it, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, everybody here does have some sort of access to healthcare here, but it's not necessarily the same amount of care. I mean, mm. to 
could be going through um, the same disease, but have the but have different treatment. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, even now, it's it's crazy. I mean, that's actually one of the things that people that are homeless struggle with. Even going to an emergency room here, you know, a lot of the homeless people are just they're just triaged initially, and then they're put back out on the street with nowhere to go. You know, I mean, it's it's very common for us to see people that, you know, I'll see them in hospital scrubs or in a hospital gown and shoes, you know, like little flip flops mm. that the hospital has given them. And it's, you know, 30 degrees outside, you know, or it's snowing and they were discharged from the hospital. And that's the hospital knowing that they don't have anywhere to go. Those are the frustrating things that happen, you know, here in the States. Um, with some of our healthcare system and medical systems here. So same thing too, and it's a limited period of time. So let's say, for example, you do have some sort of like psychiatric problem and you're taken to the hospital. Mental illness is not something that you can diagnose and treat in a week or two. Unfortunately, most medical plans and especially like the, the people that don't have insurance, that's about all the time that they get to get into a program like that. So um, it doesn't leave much room for people to get assistance or to get help with with what they need. Um, yeah. And and to be fair, I think that for many people here um, who have um, serious and, and ongoing mental health problems and also and or substance abuse issues, you know, the services try and offer support, but ultimately sometimes they almost fall through the cracks or they've gone through every service that's available. Um, and then they do end up sort of on the streets, really, and just sort of relying on whatever they can get. Gail, are there, in terms of the population you serve, are there many veterans amongst the people you serve? Yeah, there's a ton of veterans that we serve. Um, now, that's one thing, you know, a lot of our veterans, there are definitely veteran services available to help our vets out. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you're dealing with a lot of these vets that are homeless. They either have mental illness issues or they have um, substance abuse issues. And so that causes a big problem because they have, you know, a lot of people, a lot of them have paranoia. And um, they don't necessarily think that, you know, the government's there to help them. And, you know, you kind of go through those issues or they just don't want help at all. And then you have ones that are, you know, have substance abuse issues. And of course, if you want help, you know, you kind of have to follow the guidelines, you know, or go into some sort of treatment program through the veterans office or whatever. So, you know, so we do have a lot of vets that are um, struggling. The resources are are available to our vets. Now, they aren't necessarily the easiest to go through again. So mm. we that it's kind of like a little holding pattern. But yeah, we do. We actually have quite a few vets that um, that are homeless. Um, it's it's very sad here um, when it comes to that. It's frustrating, but, you know, but we do. Um, and we have a lot of a lot of people in the social service organizations that are really doing their best. It's not a perfect system. It, you know, and the other thing is, too, is that, you know, when people come out of the military, there aren't. I think that's kind of maybe where there's this is just my personal opinion. I think that that's where there might be a hang up is. When people are being discharged from the military, there's not a really good path that's created for them if they need those additional services um, to help them dealing with PTSD or with substance abuse or with just getting themselves reacclimated into society. So a lot of vets, even though they have resources available to them, they don't even know what resources they do have available to them to even get them. You know, sometimes we'll catch vets and they don't realize that they can get some of the help that they can get. 
as we do as we do here and i think i'm aware of people who guys mainly um who've been in the armed forces for you know 20 years 25 years and they come out and as you say that they, they go from this very structured environment hierarchical environment and they go out into sort of the world and it's uh, it's much less structured and unless they've got a direct career path um, yep. it's not so obvious well you also have two you know people that come from you know um a very structured regiment you know past they also don't want to go into shelters and they don't want to have to follow any kind of rules you know they don't mm-hmm. from that lifestyle i mean that's one of the issues that we have for people that that are coming out of incarceration and that are coming out of the jail system here is that they don't want to go into shelters they don't want to go into another environment where they have to follow rules and they have to be in at a certain time and leave at a certain time and you know and they have you know what i mean and so yeah. you know they rather figure it out on the street and have that freedom than than to go into the shelters here you know then again i'm not i'm not a big fan of our shelters here as well you know and i'm I, and this is specifically more towards detroit cuz there's some there's some really great shelter programs throughout the country and even throughout some some parts of Michigan and everything mm. and to slam Detroit cuz yeah obviously I love it I just think that there's a better there's a better way to do things and things can be done more efficiently and I think that you know the population is I always say it's kind of the, for, the forgotten population here you know people forget about the homeless all the time and seem to be very marginalized and you know just seem to be at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to services and, you know, when it comes to help and assistance. And, and yet they're our most vulnerable population. You know, these are the people that are suffering from mental illness. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that are disabled that are out there. And that's, really? yeah. And that's one of the things that kills me. You know, I mean, there's, there's people they have, you know, cause there's a high rate of diabetes. I don't care what, what kind of statistics you look at when you're looking at a, you know, you're looking at a poor demographic, you're going to see a high rate of health issues um, and there's a high rate of diabetes. And so tons of people that have lost limbs, they've lost limbs because of diabetes or because of abscess, you know, and it just amazes me. It always amazes me when I see somebody who's in a wheelchair who doesn't have a home um, or who's missing fingers and or missing, you know, a foot. Or toes or whatever but but yeah we we you know or we have people that they have cancer that literally legit straight up have cancer and they're homeless i can't imagine you know having <clears throat> having family members or having you know somebody who's struggled with some sort of you know illness my dad has parkinson's you know and that's a progressive disease mm-hmm. i can't imagine being homeless and having parkinson's i can't imagine having you know stage four you know, lung cancer or having cirrhosis of the liver, being homeless and not have a, a place to rest, you know, and not have the treatment that I need or be, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of people that are uh, have those issues that are on a, on the street as well. They're people just as you and I. So they're going to have fall victim to yeah things like health conditions and maybe made worse because of the living conditions that they're in. Do you work with many um, families of children? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> the families now, so there's a little bit of a difference. Um, we don't see as many families that are actually living, uh, what you would say, unsheltered as far as, you know, mm. the street, um, like under a bridge or, you know, but we do have several families that they are considered homeless and for the practical intense purposes, you know, they are. We have some families that um, they'll live in an RV or maybe they'll live in a tent in a 
in a campground. The majority of our families that we do service on a regular basis, they live in motels. And that's where, you know, you'll, we, we have families that range anywhere from three people to seven people. I've seen as many as nine people that have like crammed into one hotel room that. Wow. One hotel room. One hotel room. And you're not talking about a big room. This is a small room, you know, one bathroom, two full-size beds. And, uh, and so you have some of the kids that are sleeping on the ground and and why did they get food? Well, <laughs> that's that's the tricky part of it. Um, you know, when we find those families, you know, we we stop by almost every day with dealing with foods. And these aren't luxury hotels or motels. So, you know, like one motel in particular that we service on a regular basis. So we stop every day and we deliver food to them. They generally don't have a microwave or a, or a mini. Mm. So we'll we'll actually we've provided families that we find in hotels that are there for a long-term basis, we'll give them a microwave and a, and a mini fridge so that we're able to actually bring in some of those foods for them. A lot of these people, so one of the interesting demographics here, or not demographic, one of the interesting things um, in Detroit area is Detroit doesn't have a lot of big box stores. They don't have a lot of large grocery stores okay. It's that um, that is accessible for people to buy healthy foods or to buy foods that they can prepare. In the urban areas, there's a lot of fast food. There's a lot of liquor stores that have like, you know, that have like the cakes and the microwavable stuff, the processed foods, gas stations. Those are the places typically speaking where a lot of people that are homeless will purchase their foods, which again, you can link back to, you know, the rate of health conditions and, you know, and, and people having diabetes or obesity or whatever. So a lot of these families end up burning up a lot of their money. And of course, those places are more expensive purchase foods than if you were to go into a grocery store. They kind of get caught up in a cycle. You know, most um, the parents work, they're working parents, but it's so expensive to stay in that motel that they get caught up in this cycle that they don't have. They're not able to save money to put down on a deposit for a house or for rent, um, for department. And so they get just caught up in the cycle, but they're paying, you know, they are working people. Oh, really? So they're they're actually, they've got jobs, they're working. Absolutely, yeah. The only place they can get to live is in um, a motel. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. And and a lot of times too, like in Detroit, you know, some of these families, you have people that, um, again, you know, that maybe they're, um, you're dealing, again, you're dealing with people that are in poverty, you know, that are low income. Mm. So in Detroit, you have people, you have a lot of families, like they'll rent a home. Well, there's a lot of fires in Detroit. Homes burn down. If somebody doesn't have insurance to cover that, they've lost their home. And so we see that that's very, very common here. And so they end up in a motel after a fire. Um, And again, you know, they just get caught up on it or they have a job loss and they were renting, you know, they get caught up on it. There's a lot of scams that kind of happen with the housing market here um, in Detroit, where you have people that, you know, they say that they own a house and they'll have renters that come in and they really don't own the house or or maybe they'll have a mortgage and they don't pay on the mortgage. And then but meanwhile, they're renting and they're taking money mm-hmm. from the family that's renting. And then the bank comes along, forecloses on the house. The renter doesn't necessarily know that. So they lose their space. I mean, there's a, a multiple reasons why families end up losing their spaces. You know, some of it is, again, you know, you might have parents that suffer from mental illness or, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, addiction, you know, of course, those are, you know, issues as well. But 
No, we have, we have several families that, like I said, you know, they're, they're hardworking people and they're just caught up in a little bad situation and it just becomes a rough cycle for them. And they, you know, and they have kids and, you know, and the kids are going to school and, but it's sad, you know, it's a situation when you see them. And you said that, um, you, you know, you obviously give out food in different ways, like uh, meals and things like that. And where, where do you, because you, I guess you must have to get quite regular supplies of food. Yep. So we um, currently, we're serving anywhere between 100 to 200 meals a day. Oh. And we initially, it started off where we had volunteers um, that would help prepare meals for us, package and prepare meals for us. It's kind of grown and we've been able to partner with some other organizations. Food Rescue Detroit, Food Rescue is a national organization here in the States, but um, Food Rescue Detroit specifically came on board. They started last summer. I believe somebody that you uh, had interviewed previously, Derek, Mm. um, I work with her regularly and Food Rescue has been amazing. So what they do is they work with other uh, restaurants and businesses and stuff. And when they have uh, extra food or excess food, they um, somebody can pick it up and deliver it or we go and pick it up and then we're able to recycle it. So Food Rescue has been great. We've been able to take food that's already been prepared and, and um, we just repackage it up into meals. Um, but we have a plethora of restaurants that have local area restaurants that have donated food to us um, on a regular basis. Little Caesars Pizza, Chicken Shack, Jersey Mike's, uh, Tracheria Cerventi, Nino Savaggio's, and just a, the host goes on for a bunch of different places that have helped mm. us in that capacity. Um, they, do they then, give surplus food or how, what does that work? Or? Well, it depends. You know, some of it, it's surplus food. Some of it, it's, you know, they have access food at the end of the night and they'll give us, you know, kind of what's left over. Or like right now during um, during the pandemic, we actually have places that have actually just donated fresh food. Really? Is meals, yeah. Um, Little Caesar's. Not wonderful. Yeah, Little Caesar's Pizza regularly, at least twice a week. They're giving us. They're actually providing meals for us. Um, is that is that a chain or a yeah. an individual? Well, yeah. it's um, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's sorry, it's a chain in the United States. Um, but it's but they have franchises and they're yeah, local. Okay. So we have a locally owned one here in town in Sinclair Shores, Michigan. That's one specific that donates to us regularly we last night you know we had 20 pizzas last night and crazy bread and uh you know it was able to feed you know 100 people last night amazing yeah it's it's yeah it's pretty cool how we've seen but we also have you know we have markets that say say for example um some local area ronnie's meats or nino salvaggio's that will donate like a like a chunk of meat and then we'll we can slice it up you know or they'll donate Mm -hmm of chicken breasts or something like that. And then we'll give it to one of our volunteers and our volunteers will cook it up and make it into a meal and prepare it into our meal. We have amazing volunteers. I have to tell you, Andrew, we really have an army of, of, of great volunteers throughout Metro Detroit and beyond that have really, you know, stepped it up and that have helped us in every way uh, to make, to make it happen. I mean, I was figuring out just, just since the pandemic started, we've served over 6,400 meals, individual meals. So that doesn't mean that that's us mm. going to a shelter or going to like a picnic area and, you know, and handing it out. This means like on a daily basis, we're taking out, like I said, anywhere from, we go through anywhere from like 80 to average, 80 to 150 meals, but, you know, a night, mm. 
Um, we've gone in excess over 200 meals, though. That's a, so, and how many, because you've got all this amazing network of volunteers, and shout out to all of those people who are giving food and giving surplus food and helping you and supporting you in different ways. Uh, do you have, I mean, in, in terms of, I guess, you've got staff who work full time and then you've got volunteers. How does it work in terms of on the ground? How many people have you got sort of giving out meals and things? Okay, so this is the interesting thing about that. So as far as our staff, uh, we have a staff of one. That's me. <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> Not quite chief cook and bottle washer, but not far off. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so, and and I'm newly staffed. I just got put on, I finally collect a little tiny bit of a paycheck starting um, last quarter. Oh, so, um, yeah. But everybody else is pretty much a volunteer. That's why when people donate money or when they donate an item, it literally directly goes right back into the people that we're servicing and that we're helping. Um, now we do have people, I will say that with that said, we do have a lot of people that have been homeless or that are near homeless that um, we've been helping through the process and transitioning them into a more stable environment where we, when they volunteer or they work with us, we will help with some of their costs. So some of the people that we haven't, we help pay the cost for some people that are in transitional housing right now. We'll pay their phone bill um, we've paid utilities. We've paid, you know, we, you know, we've, we try to put the people uh, that we service to work to help them get off their feet. So we have a little bit of that going on, but I, I would say like officially, I'm the only person on uh, on a little payroll right now. Um, the rest of the people are, you know, we have transitional people that get some support and then we have a whole nother army of volunteers. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's, we're really a grassroots um, movement that, it's it's truly is made up of volunteer. I have one mar- volunteer, Marge Zurek, who is absolutely amazing. She is that what Marge Zurek? Yeah, Marge Zurek. She so a big shout out to Marge Zurek. Oh, right. she's Marge is amazing. She literally, other than she took a little vacation to Ireland last year, other than that, that woman has worked every single day alongside of me. It's- My mum was Irish, so she's a very wise woman going on holiday to <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> well, you know, so. You know, Marge doesn't necessarily work the same amount of hours that I work, but every single day she calls me up in the morning. We touch base, says, what do you need for today? I tell her she goes into our donation, our storage um, area. She um, she'll pull out the supplies that we need and she has it ready for me. You know, she also is she coordinates a lot of our donations. So she's very key. She's not in the field much. Um, every once in a while, she'll go out in the field with us. But she mostly is coordinating a lot of our, our donations that come in and our inventory that comes in. So, you know, she's amazing. And then we have, you know, we have some amazing board members that have taken on responsibility of collecting furniture items. And they have a garage full of furniture waiting for us and donations, um, especially during the pandemic right now, where things are a little bit more difficult to to transfer. And we have other volunteers, like like I said, that are making meals for us or that are picking up our food from food rescue or that are dropping off. We have volunteers, like we have a couple volunteers that are on the other side of town. They will, uh, they've been doing drop-offs to our families at least once a week, like a big grocery delivery once a week for family. There's probably between 16 to 20 families that we deliver to weekly right now, but we've delivered to well over 50 families, different families um, throughout the pandemic. So, I mean, we really, you know, and then we have other volunteers um, that are, you know, again, collecting donations and they're using their homes and helping our individual families. Um, Cindy Trotta is another one on the other side of 
town that's been doing a great job with collecting donations and, and trying to get them to our housing and food insecure families. Um, Nikki Rudy uh, organizes Chris Miller and Vicky Boudreaux organize our food, um, our food prep and our, our meetings. And I mean, we just, like I said, I, I'm, I hate to leave anybody out, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we just have a whole army of people that have really, um, you know, helped. We have outreach teams that, well, before the pandemic, it was a little bit different. I finally was getting to the point where I had some outreach teams that were being able to go out um, without me, uh, Gail Forbes and um, Pat Grabowski and that were, Sue Sherman that were going out, but um, it's changed, you know, since the, since the pandemic, but, you know, but while they haven't been doing that, they've been helping out in other areas, whether it's making sandwiches for us or, you know, going shopping for us to get supplies for us and dropping it off. Um, so everybody's, I literally, I mean, I could not do it without the army of people that we have. It's amazing. We, when we looked back on last year, on a conservative basis, we had logged in well over 60,000 volunteer hours. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And this year, we'll, we'll exceed it. This must be pretty, I guess, physically challenging work at times, certainly emotionally. What what keeps you going? What keeps you, because you must see some pretty tough sights at times. Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they donate? <laughs> actually, believe it or not, they actually did donate 20 cases about a month ago. They donated 20 Red Bull to us. Yeah. Red Bull. And then uh, another drink that we just started using is Uptime. It's an all natural caffeine drink. Um, so <laughs> my Red Bull and my Uptime, um, our team, that's how we kind of keep going. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have kids um, and I'm not married. So I guess that's one of the reasons why I'm able to probably do as much as I do because I'm sure the situation if I if I was in a different situation I probably wouldn't have as much time on my hands I'm struggling with that Andrew to be honest with you because I don't have a very good work-life balance and everybody keeps telling me I need to take a you know I need to take a day off or that I need to slow down a little bit um, and make sure that I take care of myself because if I'm not healthy then you know I can't help the people that I help um, so I struggle with it. I really do. But I'm I'm so passionate about what I do. And I see so many, so many flaws and so many like little obstacles that are in the system for people to navigate through that it's made me very determined to try to mm. figure out a better way to help these people. You know, I know that even on, and I, I've struggled, you know, with many different things throughout my life and I've had my own obstacles and I still do, but I, I feel incredibly blessed. I do have a very, I have a wonderful family. My mom and my dad, you know, they're divorced, but they're both still in my life. And I feel very blessed for that. I have some, you know, I have brothers and a sister and nieces and nephews that I'm close to. And I can say that even on my worst day, it's still better than a lot of people's days. And, um, and so as I've seen the obstacles and the processes that a lot of these people face, I realize that they're just, somebody needs to be an advocate. Somebody needs to be able to, to help these people through the entire process and not that we can do everything and not that we can save the day. But I think that, you know, you have these organizations or you have these people and they're, 
they specialize in one area, which is amazing. And they have to so that they can be really good. So they do that. But then what happens is you have one organization that does this part. And then the person gets turned over to another organization. And then they focus on that part. And then maybe they go to another part and they focus on that part. The problem is, is that when you're dealing with people that are homeless and or people that are struggling with mental illness and or addiction, they're going to they're going to drop off at some point in that process. They're not going to follow through with the next organization or the next person. You know, I mean, if you can think of, you know, going through any kind of a process yourself and how difficult it might be for you who maybe doesn't have a mental illness or substance abuse issue or just having a frustration in general. Imagine somebody who is struggling with those things. It's just like it's just like taking the bus to get to an appointment. You know, if it takes you two hours and three buses to get to an appointment, you know, I don't know if he'll ever go into a traditional housing situation. But um, but we definitely have been working with acclimating him into socialization and in getting him into, uh, you know, into working with our organization and. He's just, like I said, if you saw some of the stuff that he does, if you come across the pond and you visit when all of this is over, hopefully, um, you'll definitely, I I look forward to introducing you to some of these people. I mean, what are things, Gail, how would you like Motor City Mission to develop then over the next few years? Well, one of the things that I've really been, um, we've been really struggling with is finding our own space to to operate and to work out of. We've been working out of St. Clair of Montefalco Catholic Church and absolutely wonderful to us, but we simply have outgrown the space. Plus, um, we kind of have to follow their restrictions, you know? So like right now during the pandemic, we're not in there. We can't use the space. So we've had to find another base camp. So we're we're working out at Trattoria Cerventi, which is a restaurant. We're using their banquet room. Um, they've they've been letting us use their banquet room as a as a base camp. But even then, we can only go in at certain times and have mm. somebody's there. So it's very difficult for us, you know. So we really need to have a space that we can operate out of freely seven days a week where we can come and go. We can put our stuff. We're kind of spread out, you know, even our stuff that we have in inventory and storage, we're spread across five or six different places with our stuff. So one of our things is to get our own operating space. There's one space in particular that I love, and I'd love to have a nonprofit cafe bistro type place mm. where we can where we can put some of the people to work that we work with, and then have our workshop for our mats and pillow project. And then on the other side, have like a, a little thrift shop boutique, free boutique for people that we service, but then also for people to come in and and buy some of the goods that we have. That's kind of like the nearest goal. My long-term goal and what we have, you know, been working on on the side is um, I'd really like to develop a a job skills training transitional housing um, center for people where we can actually um, work with people that can, that we can help easily transition right into jobs while Mm -hmm. offering housing for them and, uh, and work with some of the major companies within the Detroit area so that it benefits not just the person that we're servicing, but also benefiting, you know, the company as well as the community. So, you know, so from a longer term basis, those are some of the things that we want. But, you know, I'd like to make some changes too. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to make some policy changes and in, in within our government and our legislation to, 
to make sure that some of these people get their care. I think there, there mm-hmm. needs to be a lot more um, funding and care that goes into mental health issues, a lot more um, regulations and funding and care that goes into substance abuse treatment programs. I mean, we didn't really even talk about that, but that's a big issue as far as even the treatment programs that are available mm-hmm. to people that are suffering for, from addiction. You know, and I think just in general, like during the pandemic, again, you know, one of the things that I've been really, we're one of the only organizations that are financially offering assistance to people that are staying in hotels on a long-term basis, mm-hmm. you know, and if it wasn't for our organization, these families with little kids would truly be on the street because the shelters are full. They're, they they don't have the capacity to take these families in. So there's a, there's a lot of things like that, that I think that our organization can help identify and help out and you know, we've been working in collaboration with the city now for the past several weeks during the pandemic, where I think they're finally um, appreciating us a little bit more for the work mm. we do and realizing that we're an integral part of working with our homeless population that are unsheltered. So hopefully we're making progress. Like I said, we're still a young organization, but yeah. we've we've made some some miles and strides. So, because from the outside, Detroit is a city with many challenges, but also it seems like a, a wonderful city and, and with an incredible, not always amazing history, challenging history. But what do you like about Detroit? What do you like about its people? What inspires you? Wow, there's so much. I mean, for as many things that are frustrating and difficult about the city, I love it. You know, I didn't live here for over 20 years and I missed it the entire time I was gone. And when I came back, I didn't think I was going to stay here when I before I Mm. moved. When I moved back here, it felt right to stay here. And I wanted to be part of that revitalization and that growth. You know, growing up, I, you know, I I was born in 73. So I grew up, you know, as a baby in the 70s and then, you know, preteens in the 80s and college in the 90s and stuff. So it was, and during that time, that's when the decline of Detroit really started to happen. So when I was little, I used to hear the stories my parents used to, my grandparents, you know, their success in Detroit and their successes and and how beautiful it was and um, how many remarkable things. And then the rich culture and, you know, Detroit is one of those places where it's not just one thing that makes the city great. It's not just the it's not just the auto industry that is mm-hmm. amazing about Detroit, but we have one of the most amazing historical music scenes. And we have art, you know, from the, the WPA program um, during the Depression and, you know, the, the art history here. And the fact that we're a border state with Canada is amazing. And we have... Now, granted, some of our teams are struggling, you know, have been struggling for quite a few years, but even from a sports history, and I'm a fanatic, we have such a rich history of sports and just from the civil rights movement. And uh, it's a very diverse population, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, I mean, we struggle with so many different things the city but at the same time too we have rallied in so many different ways and just kind of kind of keeping our head above water just so to say I've been an underdog my whole life and so I don't know I think that's why I'm such a fan of the Lions the Detroit Lions football team are they not are they not very good you mean American soccer American football American football yeah okay are they not very good then they've struggled let's just put it that way (laughs) <laughs> for, for quite a few years. So, you know, but I'm, uh, they're near and dear to my heart. You know, they're the underdogs. Nobody ever, ever, you know, has the confidence that they're going to be able to overcome. I still am like, you're going to, 
you're going to get it one of these days. You know, it's just us rallying back into, um, you know, Detroit kind of making a comeback. And, you know, I hope that we can after this, um, after this pandemic, because it hit us really, really hard. It's really hit the city very hard. Yeah. Yeah, we've had we've had TV reports about um, how Detroit, a few weeks ago how hard Detroit was being hit after New York and New Orleans. I think uh, it is. I mean, our downtown area of Detroit became such a metropolis again, mm-hmm. a bustling place where you know you saw people on the street. It didn't matter what hour of the day, and there was always people out. And and now it's it's kind of back to a ghost town again um, on the weekends. It's crazy. You know, the casinos here they're all closed and. The restaurants are all, it's like, it literally is like a ghost town down there at times. Lately now things are, people are going out more and, um, which again is a little scary too, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really crazy thing. And a lot of businesses have really, um, taken a big hit. The pandemic that obviously Detroit has a, has a rich history and lots of different rich. How would you like it to develop in the next five or 10 years? I think the surrounding neighborhoods around Detroit need a lot of work. And I would love mm-hmm. to see neighborhoods around the downtown area develop more. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more affordable housing offered to people in the neighboring areas. I mean, it's it's and one of the things of Detroit that's been really crazy is you have this really cool downtown area population. But, you know, and so you have these big prices all of a sudden now it's really expensive to live in downtown Detroit and it's expensive to do a lot of things now um, that for many, many years you didn't have to worry about that. Well, now right around there, you have these neighborhoods that still haven't had a lot of attention and still have a lot of you know poverty that are surrounding those areas. And they need attention. You know, they, they need to have some of the same support and some of the same money go into those neighborhoods to build them up. And they're starting slowly. It's starting slowly, but there's still a lot of abandoned buildings, um, both commercial and residential buildings that really need to be torn down, need to be leveled. There needs to be our police and fire. We have amazing police and fire uh, workers that don't get, you know, don't get compensated for what they should be compensated for the work mm. that Detroit. Truly. I mean, for what they do, especially our, you know, our fire is amazing. You know, they deal with more fires than any other city in the country and are some of the most, uh, I think, neglected population as far as um, some of the services and that they're provided in return. And same thing with our our law enforcement here. There's a lot of people and a lot of a lot of a lot of things that they're having to deal with and really appreciated or, or compensated for. So, I think that I think that it needs to grow more, and it and it is. You know, it's just it's slow. It's in baby steps. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Can't expect things to happen overnight, but but I think you know if you ask me what I like to see in the next five or ten years, I I think our educational system here in Detroit, um, our public school system is mm-hmm. not up to par here at all. The schools are. You have more kids that are going to charter schools as opposed to public schools, which makes it difficult. You know, you have kids that leave. And get ready for school at four o'clock in the morning. They don't get home until six o'clock at night because they have to get ready to take the bus, you know, a trip. So, I mean, it's if you're poor, it's difficult. You know, the, the irony about the whole pandemic is you have a lot of people who never, ever expected to be in the situation that they're in financially or job wise. They thought that they had job security. They thought that even owning their own business. Well, I run a great business, you know, and I'm, you know, we're secure. They never, ever, ever imagined that a pandemic would come and they would be forced to close. And so now they're in the situation of 
having to call unemployment and having to call for a small business loan or having to call for some sort of social service. And they're getting frustrated because they can't get through or they can't get answers and they can't get what they need to keep going. And I completely, I I don't want anybody to have to go through that, Andrew. And it's an extremely frustrating process. And I empathize and I sympathize. But at the same time, too, this is what our clients go through Mm. on a daily basis. On a daily basis, this is the type of things that these people struggle with. And now it's compounded even more so because there's 10 times more people trying to get the same types of services or trying to go through and navigate the same systems. So, and those people are put on the back burner, you know, and and so, so I think there's just a lot of things in our system and our society that need to be worked out and need to be executed a little bit better as opposed to just, you know, putting a Band-Aid on things or just thinking that it's going to work or that it's just this population that needs it. I think that there's... So lots of things that could um, are good about Detroit, lots of things like anywhere that needs to happen. But one of the things is that you find that people are really inspiring. So, I mean, Gail, thank you very, very much. That's been an amazing interview. And I actually have to say, I almost feel exhausted listening to the sort of work <laughs> that you do and the schedule you have. And I have to have you have my full admiration. I think it's incredible and really needed. I mean, we, we have people like you here as well in the UK, but I think that I think Detroit's lucky to have you and, the, and the, all the people that you mentioned that work with you, which is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope we get to talk again. I would love to give you updates and, and maybe, uh, like I said, drag in some of these people that we work with and maybe you can find yeah them. oh that would be great have some, have some of your listeners get to know them a little bit you know yeah yeah no that'd be great so if, if they if they're interested yeah that would be that would be wonderful actually Let's try and make it happen somehow hello and thank you for listening in unbelievably this is the fifth show of uh, what was planned to be 10 shows just seemed like a, a, a nice round number and i've been really enjoying it it's fantastic what i'd really like is um thank you so many people who are, are listening in and give me nice feedback if you've got any feedback about how the show's structured constructively critical i think that's what they always say or about uh, how the, the interviews are done anything like that i'm always happy to learn you know i'm a newbie so uh, i'm definitely open to try and do two different things out if you uh, happen to be in detroit uh, let me know if there's anyone that you think would be worth interviewing any organization if you enjoy the show it'd be really nice if you can uh, share it with anyone else and uh, follow me on instagram as well so i wish you all a very wonderful week and i hope you're able to tune in next week take care then bye Bye.